Hi, I'm Trisha Gelman, and I'm excited to welcome you to this episode of CMO Conversations. Today, I'm here with Viviana Fega, who is operating partner at Emergence Capital. So Viv, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to see you again. Yeah, it's great. So, oh, you know, we should probably let everyone know that we worked together many years ago at Salesforce. We did, and yes. you've done a lot of things since then. So it's been fun. Yeah. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more of, about your role because it's a little bit different. The series is really about CMOs and you are in a leadership marketing role, but being at a VC, it's really different. So maybe you can explain to people what you do. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is quite different. And I get this question a lot because a lot of folks want to take some time and maybe go into venture. Venture is really exciting for many, many reasons. And just to give you some background on emergence. So we are an enterprise SaaS focused venture firm, and we invest in people who change the way the world works. So really we invest in any founder, any technology, any product that really is fundamentally changing the fabric of how we work. And so that is our core focus. It's always been our focus. The firm is about 15 years old now and her business insider, we are one of the most successful funds in the last decade. Yes. And some of our most recent investments, our inaugural investment was in Salesforce. And then from then we went on to invest in Yammer, in Box, in Zoom, in Gusto. So we've made a lot of really great investments and have been very lucky to partner with some category defining companies. So that's the firm in general, but we're very, very focused. A lot of other funds will invest in biotech, they'll invest in other areas, but we, that's really what we enjoy doing. And so what's been, what's been fortunate for me is that my whole background has been enterprise SaaS. So I started working at Salesforce in 2004. So at the time, I think we were just shy of 500 employees. And And that was like really early days for marketing in terms of product marketing, which is where we worked together. Exactly. And I think that we were so lucky and fortunate to work with some really brilliant marketers. And we had a lot of exposure to Mark at the time. Yep. I was lucky to take all that experience. And so when I, and and really take it with me to go to companies like Yammer and build that category. And so what I wanted to do most recently was I really took a step back and asked myself, okay, I've been a CMO now for eight years. I've worked closely with boards. I've built several categories. I've seen you know, several successful exits. I worked for Microsoft for a year and a half running all of enterprise social And so I really asked myself, what do I want to do next? And I thought the idea of venture would be interesting because what you get to do is you get to look across the sea of all of these different enterprise companies and you decide, you know, which company is going to be most successful and you get to partner with them closely. And so our firm only makes five to seven investments a year. We're very, very focused. And so I liked the idea of getting to partner with several companies at once versus working with just one. Yeah. Because as you know, as a CMO, that is your... That is the one thing that you think about every morning when you get up and every morning when you go to bed is just how am I going to take this company to market or what am I going to do differently? And I like the idea of doing it uh, multiple times over. And I think like as a CMO, like in the companies I've been at, like I've actually had great relationships with the investors because they are really curious. What are you doing? How are you building the category, the board decks, et cetera? And so I think it's always nice to have that partner and the investors. But I think, like you said, like I'm singularly focused, like how are we going to own our category? How are we going to build our business? So I think it would be great for you to share with us, like, what do you think are some of the trends that are impacting marketing today? And how is that impacting companies like super early versus like those that have been more mature? Yeah, there's so many different ways to look at marketing right now. And I wish I could say, here's the magic wand, yeah, yeah. do these three things and they're all, they're going to work for you. And so I, I, I like to break it out 
by business model. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. If you're in a freemium business. Yeah. The role of a CMO is very different in freemium versus in like more B2B enterprise kind yeah. of company. And you're seeing that, you know, with Drift, right? Yeah, you always have a big freemium business. And, yep. and we're growing from the freemium model up in toward the enterprise. And what you do for Drift is going to be vastly different from what you did at Salesforce because totally. Salesforce is a 30 day trial, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to break it out by each. And so there are different tactics that support each. And that could literally be a 30 minute conversation yeah. on its own. <laughs> but you know what I what I like to do at a, at a like a meta level, and I'm sure you're seeing this too, is that you know, people always ask me about digital and the role of digital. And I'd actually love to hear your thoughts on it because this is a hot topic amongst all the CMOs that I work with. And so what my big thing is that digital works up to a certain point right? Like meaning spending on paid digital ads, it's great. It's fantastic, but it can be really expensive. And if you're in a very competitive market where your competitor has bought up all the keywords, yeah, like, that's super expensive then. You might not, the, the acquisition costs might frankly not work. Yep. Right. And so I, I've seen that quite a bit and, and also compound that with the fact that hiring salespeople is becoming more and more expensive. Yeah. Right. And so you've got these two levers that are frankly not making it very expensive for you to acquire customers. And so I think a lot about digital, but I think you have to be very thoughtful in your spend there. One thing that I that I talk a lot about right now that I find so fascinating, I'd love your thoughts on this too, is that like I say what's old is new. What's old is new because the tactics that we ran, now that digital, people are kind of questioning the value of digital because it's so expensive online and you still have to do it. I mean, I believe in content. Content is king. Everyone yep. believes in content. Podcasts are great. Obviously yeah. that's why we're here. <laughs> but this idea that what's old is new. So like we use Zoom as an example, which is a portfolio company and Eric had this very big idea that he wanted to build a big brand in the space. And so he went and he bought, you know, he spent a ton of money and out of home, right? Yep. He, you know, you, every, you see him everywhere, buses, et cetera. Everywhere you go. And I tried to do that, but every board would tell me like, no way, we're not going to no, allow no you. ROI, no There's, ROI. Yeah, how do you measure that? And you really can't, it's yeah. harder, but he just believed in it and championed it and did it. And I think it worked. You know, they were able to build that brand and they had a very clear message that supported it. You and I can talk about this at length, but like getting the message right is so critical early on and understanding that the message you have now is going to evolve with the company over time and understanding when to evolve it. Yeah. I think one of the challenges with messaging is that you have the founders and you're like early people who believe they know exactly what the message is. And if I go back to my one-on-one product marketing days, it's not really about what you think your messaging is. It's really about what value you're delivering to the end customer and putting the customer in the center. So what's your advice to marketers in terms of like how to create the right message as well as how to validate it internally and externally? It's a lot of work. (laughs) And I think you touched on a very sensitive topic, which is that you know, the CEO, we talked about like the curse of knowledge, the, the curse of knowledge is a concept. And I say this all the time to the CEOs that I work with, right? They have been living, eating, breathing this idea for many, many, many years until it actually came to fruition, until it actually launched. And so in their mind, they believe that everybody knows just as much about their product and technology as they do. And yeah. that's never the case. So you yeah. always have to repeat a message a minimum of 20 times until people get it. Now, you know, traditionally, at least in the Valley, you know, in tech, most of the founders are product centric, right? So the way they talk about the product works great in one-on-one conversations, but it's not going to work from a sales and marketing perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I run this exercise. I basically put 
the whole executive team through a positioning statement exercise, uh-huh. which anybody can run, yep. but it's been, you know, it's really important. And it's nice that an outsider, but also a friend is coming yeah. in to, to force a really tough conversation. And then we segment the message. We'll say, okay, so we came up with your positioning statement. Now from that, we created your mission and your vision and your values. And so let's determine, and then there's a hierarchy to messaging, right? There's the 100,000 foot view, which is what marketing is going to take to the press and the CEO is going to take on the road. And then there's the like 1,000 foot view, which is what sales takes with them, right? Yep. And that includes, you know, the competitive messaging, being really thoughtful about how to deposition. Because one thing that I, but I'm sure you know, every market right now is very, very competitive. For every yep. market, there's two or three entrants. And so you have to be very thoughtful about your message and get it right early on. Yeah. What about you? You touched on it before, but category creation, like some people feel like, okay, I have to spend a lot of time as a CMO creating a category. Other people feel like, oh no, I don't need to do that. Like what's your perspective on category creation? That is such a great question. It's (laughs) the one I'm deeply passionate about partially because actually when I left Salesforce, I went to a company called Jive Software for a few years because I believed in the social space and I eventually went on to Yammer. But Christopher Lockhead was on the board there and he became a good friend of mine and actually just recently saw him and he's written the, you know, sort of definitive book on category creation. He yeah. and I talk about this quite a bit. And I was we just, work with him as well. Like, yeah, I mean, he's not so necessarily great. doing our marketing, but he's been a part of our hyper growth event series and yeah. things like that. He's just so wonderful. And, and he's right in that there could be nothing more important in creating a category. And the reason for that is because let's say you have the best product. And and I've worked with some of our portfolio companies that have been in this situation where truly they have the best product in the market, but they don't feel like they need to create the category or build the messaging because it is by default the best product. At the end of the day, people only believe what you tell them. right? So if your competitor has an inferior product but yet they decide that they're going to create the category and build the brand. And if you go to company A, you know, let's say there's company A and company B. And company A has the better product and company B has the better marketing. You're going to go to the two websites and you're probably going to want to talk more to company B because they just look different and they sound different. Yep. And it seems more interesting. And their their depositioning points for you are much stronger, right? And and nobody has time to research anymore. Yeah. So- I think like in the past five years, this is the biggest thing that I've seen as a change is like in our early days of Salesforce, it was like really focused on the features and people were evaluating products on the features. And now it's so much up in the brand. I think it's really changed in terms of like your messaging, your positioning and people don't, they just assume like, okay, all these things are kind of equal. Because technology has kind of become an equalizer. Sure. And so then it really comes down to whether you are like presenting yourself in a way that demonstrates that you're the leader or that you have the best solution or like you're messaging into the points that people care about. Yep. And another thing that I think is really interesting, and I recommend this often, but it's hard for technical founders. It's that people now want to connect to brands on a human level, Uh right? And I think you guys do a really nice job of this adrift, but if you're deciding between two technologies, you really want to connect with the one, use the product that you think, gosh, this resonates with me. And so it's not just about features and functions anymore. It's about like, how do I build this community and how do I get people really excited about my product on a different level than just features and functions? Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up because it's a conversation I've been having with Dave Cancel, our CEO, which is a lot of people talk about like, 
are there different marketing tactics for B2C versus B2B? And we've seen in the past five years, like a lot of blending of that and B2B to C, B2C to B, like whatever, like all the terminologies. But what I've been really talking about is how we're really in the B2H world, which is like, you have to really think about how are you marketing to the human? How are you connecting to that human being and really making your, your brand personal, but also your interactions and engagements personal. I love that. Yeah. I'm going to use that. I'm going to steal that. The B <laughs> go, to H. Go. We need the, the B, B to, H. H to I like that a lot. Yeah. We should write a blog post on that. That's great. <laughs> You're spot on, right? That's what we miss in all of this. It's just technology, technology, technology. We, I worked really closely with SalesLoft and they kind of repositioned themselves really to focus on this human connection aspect. So hence like the sales of tagline. And, and so that was also really important for them. Okay. So let's go back to this idea that you work across different companies, series A, B, C, even, you know, one of your portfolio companies, Zoom, they've IPO'd. Do you think that there's a different role for CMOs at the different size companies? And one of the reasons I asked this question is because there's a lot of data out there about how CMOs don't stay in their jobs that long. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, is it because you think there's different skills that are needed in those different times? There are, you know, I think fundamentally all VPMs, CMOs, they have to be really good at many different things. So whether it's product marketing, messaging and positioning, which really would fall under corporate marketing, there's performance marketing, which is really demand generation and creative. They have to understand all of those, but they can only have a superpower in one of them. And so this is one of the challenges that I find with the CEOs that I work with is that they want, they, they expect people to just be amazing at all, all of those. And I think that's impossible, right? Yeah, like what hard. would you say your superpower is? Yeah. I think my superpower is working with sales. Okay. But because I was a designer in the beginning, I can work with the creative team. Mm -hmm. And because I was a product marketer, I can do the messaging. So it's like that mix. But I would say like- So you're the, a unicorn. I mean, yeah, I think, <laughs> but I think like if I had to say one, and that's like why I came to Drift is because I think Drift is really changing the relationship between sales and marketing. Mm -hmm. And that to me is my passion. So it's not just like a superpower. Yep. It's something I'm really passionate about. And so I think working at a company where you have a huge passion is important. It's also going to like, none of these jobs are easy. So you need to go somewhere that you like really love. Oh my gosh. Yes. You have to love the product. You have to love, I always say you're the number one cheerleader for the company if you're the CMO or the VPM, right? I mean, you literally have to get up and eat, breathe, sleep, your company. So you have to love the product. You have to love the CEO and you have to love every facet of the business. And you hopefully have a good relationship with your head of sales, right? Yeah. Uh, but just to get back to your original question, yep. I think there's quite a, there's a broad range of skills you have to be good at. Round yourself out, hire really good people to support you because, that are really deep in that specific area. Yep. Hire the best field marketer you know if events are important for you. Hire the best demand gen person you can. Hire the best creative person you can, assuming you know your company starts to grow. But what I found early on when we tend to invest at the Series A, which is, I always say, 10 engineers and a dog, <laughs> it's really early. And they might have a go-to-market person, they might have one salesperson, or they might have one marketer. And the marketer tends to be either a product marketer or a demand gen person. Yeah. But I always give the advice of, you know, if you're looking at hiring kind of a head of marketing to look for a director to senior director level, don't come in and bring the big VPM and then figure out as a CEO, figure out what superpower of those four that I laid out is most important to your business. Not what's most important to you. Yeah. Because a lot of CEOs want to build their own brand. And, and in a sense, you know, your brand, the company's brand is tied to the CEO. Yeah. Especially in the early days. Right. But what you think you might need. And that's what I spent actually a lot of my time with early on with the founder is helping them kind of navigate, like, what do you need in a head of marketing? What they might think they need and what the company might need are, could be two totally different things. Yeah, interesting. 
And the other thing I say is that, look, we see the revolving door. Most VPMs will last two years at a company and then they move on. And I think we've made this mistake in the Valley where we, because it's such a broad discipline, we will just push people out. We'll say, okay, you've, you've done your two years. I'm now ready for the next big gun. But those two years were a lot of work and the person did a lot. And so I try to advise that my recommendation is to keep the person on. Maybe they're not the CMO. Maybe they want to work for the CMO. Maybe there's a new focus area. You know, Maybe they're strong at operations and they want to move into that organization. But if you're a growing company, try to keep some of that consistency because it can be really disruptive when there's change there. Yeah, 100%. Do you think that branding is a more important superpower in the beginning than later? Like back to your comment on category creation. I think it's important. So really early days at the A, you're already thinking about your next round of funding and how do you get to the B? And so there are some companies that have this magical halo around them, maybe because their early investors were, are, are, you know, really very prestigious or maybe the company just has built an early brand, right? Where everybody's kind of looking at it and saying, gee, I really want to invest in that company. So maybe the next round isn't as critical for them and they can just focus on brand and they don't have to focus on the metrics as much. Uh But once you get to your B, you have to have a certain amount of revenue to make that raise easy, frankly. And so while you want to focus on brand, you still have to actually have a strong sales and marketing team to get your your ARR to a certain point. Otherwise you'll end up taking more dilution and it won't be as favorable for you. Interesting. Yeah. That's a great perspective to have. So what do you recommend for marketers that are looking to sort of, how do they pick the right company? How do they know they're the right fit? Especially like if maybe they're going to get pushed out in two years at a senior level, like what are the criteria that you think people should look at and or work on to like create their right resume? My gosh, we should talk about, this is a good question. And I get this question so, so often because it is hard and it's scary when you, you know, as a VPM to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate probably only two years of my life to this, but I'm going to put my, you know, 100% in in, and I might not be here. So let's try to avoid that. And let's try to try to get to those four years. So how can I do that? And we we talked about it a little bit, but I do think the number one relationship is the CEO. So the relationship with the VPM slash CMO and the CEO. So it's one thing to go through an interview process, but like go to dinner with them and ask yourself, like, can you finish this person's sentence? Like, do you think you can get to that point where there's that certain level of trust? And like, I always reference back to like when I worked with David Sachs at Yammer and I felt like he was a, a very strong product leader. We had very different skill sets and I was a very strong marketing leader. And he didn't really understand my world. He very he told me when I interviewed with him, he said, you know, I'm told I need to hire you, but I really don't know why. <laughs> my product sells itself. You know, he came, he came from PayPal and he took that and he applied it to enterprise. And in fairness, they had all this user growth, but from an ARR perspective, they actually weren't doing great. And I said, well, look, your your numbers actually aren't that great. And so we got into this whole debate about it. And I we just ended up having this really great relationship and uh-huh. we could finish each other's sentences. And there was a lot of trust there. And so I think if you really have to ask yourself, you know, can I trust this person? And so the the relation that relationship is really important. The product, you know, do you love it? Do you get up every day and say, gosh, I want to go to war for this product? Because you do have to go to war in many ways, right? You're yep. you have to beat the competition, you have to build community, you have to rally everybody that works for you. And that's a lot of work. Yep. And it should be fun. It shouldn't it shouldn't really feel like work. It should feel fun. Yeah. Well, but if you don't care about it, then it's not, right? Right. Like there's a lot of great companies. And I know myself, I've been recruited to like IT security firms and it's like just not my passion area. Sure. Sure. And I'm like, it's interesting. You guys are growing like a weed, but I just can't come here. It's like, I'm never going to be that passionate about it. Right. I'm not going to get up and, you know, wear t-shirts. Yeah. With, yeah, IT security. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
kudos to whoever takes that job. I'm sure yeah, they, they're like probably really passionate things. about yeah. that space. So talk to the next one, which is, you know, the category itself, you know, are you excited to build that category and own it? Yep. Some people prefer building new categories and some marketers prefer working in established categories. So kind of figure that out too. I liked building new categories. And traction is another one that I found is really interesting. The marketing candidate can get so excited about the CEO and the product, and then they don't dig into the numbers. Mm -hmm. So dig into the numbers and make sure that the company is actually growing as well as the CEO says that it is. Yeah. Interesting. So those are all really important factors to, yeah. to think about. We've talked and throughout the conversation, you've talked about VP of marketing, you've talked about CMO. Is there a difference? Should people be looking for one versus the other? What's your perspective? Honestly, I my perspective is that titles don't matter, right? If you are so incredibly excited about the opportunity, just get on the rocket ship. I think it was Sheryl Sandberg that said that. So just do it. doesn't matter. VPM or CMO, it's frankly the same job, right? And what's nice about being the VPM is that you can get promoted into being the CMO and your probability of being pushed out, frankly, decreases. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're the CMO, I think all eyes are on you. And most people don't know how to measure that role. And so while you might believe that you're doing an amazing job and some people might not think that, frankly, because again, there's no measurement of success. Right. Interesting. So let's say that I'm a young marketer and I want to grow to be at this like senior level mm -hmm. in a company. Like what's your advice on where to focus? What are the key skills, especially with the way that marketing is changing? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think people should look to add into their portfolio? Well, they're all important skills to learn. So I would say early on, you'll want to spend one to two years in each of the disciplines because it just makes you a better marketer. It's pretty hard to only to to be a demand gen marketer only and then become a CMO. You might actually end up in a consumer company because the, you know the growth role is yeah. so much more critical there than it is in B2B. But I'd say kind of make the rotation. I love that I was able to go into corporate marketing. I worked really closely with PR and then I moved into product marketing and I worked really closely with events. So I felt like I had a good perspective. And then when I went to Yammer, I was thrown off the deep end and really had to learn freemium because we were one of the first companies that yeah. really built freemium for the enterprise. So I think it's good to be well-rounded. It's really hard to understand the role if you're not. But again, take a step back and ask yourself, like, what is my superpower? And then eventually like master that. It's Product marketing, it was product marketing for me. So go, you know, kind of build yourself through that. And I found that most CMOs either come from product marketing or come from growth, right? Demand yeah. gen. Yeah. I think, I mean, in the end of the day, I think that's really critical. And then I think in demand gen, it's important to understand messaging. Mm -hmm. I hire a lot of demand gen people who are really good at the tools, really good at working with operations, but then they're just like putting things in places versus really looking at like, what's the message and is it right for the audience? And if you don't have that, you just don't get performance. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I always think it's so funny when the demand gen team will say, gosh, the ads aren't working. They're not performing. And then you look at the ad and you're like, yeah, no wonder why. I mean, they're awful. Did you yeah. talk to the product marketing <laughs> team? Did they give you, you know, the target segmentation? Did they tell you what, you know, what the ideal customer profile was? Like it just, yeah, those two sides have to connect. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think for the CMO to kind of be one of the people that can bring that together, that's a critical component of it. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So anything else you want to share with the audience, whether it's advice or a great story you have? I mean, honestly, I think marketing is so much fun. 
right? Because it's, and you know this, I'm so passionate about it. You get to be really creative. So I hope that there are more marketers who get excited, frankly, after seeing this talk, because I think for a lot of marketers, they they get worried about this discipline. You know, will I, is there a long-term career path for me? It's such a hard role. I, I met with two different CEOs this week, companies we're looking at investing in, and they both said, gosh, all the marketers I've worked with have been terrible. And so <laughs> I hope that we can change that perspective because I do think marketing can completely change the trajectory of a company unlike any other function in the business, frankly. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this and, has been fun. Um, it's been, I think, a really great conversation and we'll stay in touch. Awesome. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Trisha. 